Hey there, welcome to the Collide podcast. This is Willow Weston, the founder and director of Collide. If you're new to this podcast, we are so excited about how God is using it to impact lives. I hope that you will feel impacted today and I'm pretty sure you will, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been. I think that you are going to be inspired when I hand you this next guest, Dr. Jim Woods. I've known him for years. In fact, I even tell him him in this interview. He is one of the most incredible humans I've ever met. I admire him so much, and I feel so privileged that he would take his time to come and share a part of his story. He's been a surgeon for decades and decades and decades and impacted so many lives. And today he hops on and we sort of deep dive into this calling that God has had on his life and how God has used his ability to do surgery to truly bless people. And Jim is just an incredible person, and he will bless your life. So take a listen. Jim, it is such a special day to have you on the Clyde podcast. I haven't seen you in years, but I feel like you're my good old buddy that I miss talking to and seeing. So thank you for making space to hop on here today. My pleasure. Thank you. I have so many things I want to ask you and a lot about your calling as a doctor and uh, the life you've lived following after Jesus doing that work. So I'm hoping that maybe we can start this whole conversation by rewinding back. In fact, there's a picture behind your head that is is so beautiful, painted by our mutual friend, Ginny, of you as as a doctor in, I think you said, Vietnam, helping a child. Um, of course, people listening might not be able to see that, but I'd love for you to take us back to being called to be a doctor and what what that was like, why you decided to go into that field of work. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. Um... Uh, first of all, I'm I'm honored that anybody would uh, care about my story, and um, I'm I'm thankful for the way it has been clearly uh, directed. Even of course when I didn't know it, and uh, for sure when I was 15, um, I was like farm kid in Indiana, uh, milking cows every day and baling hay all summer. <laughs> uh, there wasn't one medical person in our family other than my sister who wanted to be a nurse. She was slightly older than I was. And uh, I got really sick after a basketball practice on a Saturday morning. We have Friday night games. Saturday morning, I went to basketball practice and got really sick with pain. And um, anyway. My family doctor by Saturday evening figured out it was appendicitis. And so he sent me to the big city of Mishawaka, South Bend, Indiana. And um, I had an appendectomy. And the long and short of it is at midnight, I woke up in the recovery room and a nurse walked over to me. And I had been so ill before that. And I felt like I could play basketball that hour because I felt so much better after my appendix was out via an inc it was an incision in those days. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but I, the, the pain of the incision was nothing to me compared to what it was before. And I, I looked at the nurse 
I remember it was right at midnight, and I said, this is what I'm going to do. And um, so mm -hmm. appalling, yes, but um, I, I didn't know it. It was um, a motivation provided. I'm, uh, I was a believer at that time. Uh, at age 14 and 15, I had already committed my heart to Jesus. But um, I, I didn't go to college to um, get a degree. I went to college to get into medical school. <laughs> I didn't go to medical school mm -hmm. to become a doctor. I went to medical school to become a surgeon. And uh, so it was, it was high motivation. And um, I, I believe perfectly, um, divinely uh, ordained, if you can say that. So, <laughs> yeah, it's so amazing to me how often I talk to people who have a similar story in the sense that they experience something hard or painful, and God used that experience to then lead them on a path where they could help other people who experienced what they did. So it's really fascinating to me that you had this painful experience and then you're like, I want to be a part of making people feel like they can play basketball again. That's so cool. Yeah. I, my, my heart was to do that for other people. Mm-hmm. When you, so you go to school and of course, in order to be a surgeon, I mean, how many years of school does that require? Well, um, um, I had, you know, of course, college, which I did in three years because I only wanted to go to medical school. So I compacted everything into three years because I didn't have much money and was paying for it. So <laughs> anyway, then yeah. there's four years of medical school. And then depending on um, your situation, it's five to seven years of surgical training. Mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. so you get out of school, you graduate, and and you're a surgeon. Did you have a moment where you freaked out? I mean, the only thing I can compare this to is one of our best friends lived with us when she finished up nursing school. And when she got her first job at the hospital, she came home from one of her first shifts and she was crying on the edge of Rob and I's bed. And we're like, what's wrong? And she's like, I could kill somebody. I mean, did you have this like great sense of fear and responsibility that came with this title surgeon when you became one? Well, I I think um, it's different for everyone, um, but I I was so focused on preparing myself so that I wouldn't have those fears, and I was so focused on um, uh, what I wanted to do and could do for people that it kind of that I think I kind of bypassed that whole phase because um, there there were times. Uh, uh, when um, I was totally in charge and realized the responsibility for sure, but um, spending, you know, like 20 hours out of 24 for seven, eight years of your life, uh, just mm. you know, helping people with great injuries or ruptured aneurysms or gunshot wounds, whatever. Uh, it was, it was a big deal. And uh, I'll tell you that I wasn't fully trained when I got, drafted um 
and and the federal government will say they never drafted a um, a a doctor, but they they certainly did, and um, I, I, they it was the Tet Offensive in Vietnam, and many of your listeners won't even weren't born when Vietnam was uh, <laughs> happening, uh, mm-hmm. but anyway, I I was. Um, taken literally out of my training and one of my chiefs who, who had just finished many years in the military uh, um, worked worked it so that I would be drafted as a surgeon, not a general medical officer, GMO. So I was drafted as a surgeon and sent uh, right on to uh, Vietnam uh, where where I ran a combat hospital and I didn't I didn't even have my board certification at that point but I was totally wow. in charge of a field hospital and believe me I I did have um, times of unbelievable um, responsibility uh, but but most people went to Vietnam with a as as an officer. I was allowed to take a footlocker, so I had books. <laughs> I would have books open right in the operating room as howitzers were humming over my head, and uh, I did. Oh my I do remember um, feeling like, "Wow, this is this is it," you know. And um, but I I came from um, home from uh, that Vietnam experience, never having lost one soldier on the operating table that, uh, you know, that I was asked to uh, operate on. And uh, so responsibility is huge as a general and vascular surgeon. I did a year of vascular, so I did an awful lot of <laughs> higher risk uh, procedures. But the the, the uh, calling that I had was to do it and to help people. And so um God enables I f- firmly believe that and uh, I, I've experienced it that's incredible Jim that you had that sort of success rate and I was gonna ask you because you just mentioned God enables you you might know the Vandergrins both father and son are surgeons and in town when we live in the same town um and in their office, because I had to get surgery a couple of years ago unexpectedly for my gallbladder, so I know your appendix pain maybe, but um, similar anyways, there is a painting in their office, and it's of a surgeon and uh, Jesus sort of behind the surgeon. And I, I wondered, I thought about you and that I was going to get to talk to you, and I'm curious how you viewed this work that you do, do you view it as this opportunity that you've gotten all these years to be sort of like the hands and feet of Jesus, our healer? Are you, do you view it like you're participating in the way that he's healing people? I mean, what has been your, your view while you're doing this just incredibly important work? Oh, well, that that's really a, a great question, Willow. And um, I, I always, um, I always felt like um, uh, what you just said. I was the hands and feet, but 
I would, for example, do a, a large abdominal aortic aneurysm, and we would usually open people right from their chest down to their pubic bone, you know, <laughs> to get at the vasculature. In those days, we do it robotically and otherwise now in some in some cases, uh, or endovascular now. But anyway, um, they would they would go home from the hospital, and two weeks would go by, and I'd see them in my office, and take out the staples or the stitches and time after time, it was impressed on me from the very beginning, but time after time I would share with my patients, you know what, um, you remember when we operated on you? I said, and they said, oh, of course, it was, you know, Wednesday afternoon, the 14th of June, 19, you know, and, and uh, I'd say, well, I've, most of the nights I got to go home. I didn't sleep all night, but I was frequently um, sleeping at night and I haven't seen you since, you come back in here and look what I just did. I, I removed the stitches from your wound. And I would kind of pull it a little bit and say, it didn't, it didn't come apart. I said, I've, I've been home sleeping. What do you think happened? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was mm -hmm. such a great opportunity um, to share the healing power of um, our, our Savior. Um, we, we do all sorts of things as human beings, but um, I was not the healer that I was credited to be, and I many times um, had to redirect patients' thinking to realize uh, that, that God is the one who heals. I, I made incredible incisions and did dastardly things to the human body, and God healed them, literally. Your gallbladder was an example. I mean, they ripped that gallbladder out of the mm -hmm. liver, and there's a big open spot there, and they cut it off at the common duct, and they clipped the uh, cystic artery. And um, and you go home in four hours, usually, because it's done with a the scope these days. Um, but, but God heals. And um, when we miss that point, um, then we as humans, you know, there's a joke that always circulated in the operating room. Do you know the difference between uh, God and a surgeon? And everybody says, of course, no. And you say, well, God never thought he was a surgeon. <laughs> but ma many surgeons think that, that they're the healers, and um, it is not so. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's really interesting because I think, wow, it's almost like doing what you've done for so many years you got front row seats to watch god show up and do incredible things and at the same time you spent years studying science while believing in god studying medicine while believing in god i'm kind of curious because a lot of times there's you know sort of these arguments and opinions on science and god but i'm kind of curious how the study of the human body actually drew you closer to the understanding of our creator again willow what a great question because i i used to give a, a i was i was a teacher basically my whole surgical life but I, I, I gave a, a, a lecture and i can't even remember the title now but i had <laughs> i had been so unbelievably fascinated with the study of the human body, which really started in medical school when we, uh, four of us were given a corpse, you know, <laughs> it was, 
It wow. was a, a dead body, but we, we dissected them basically from head to toe uh, in an organized fashion. I was so fascinated with the human body and its creation. Um, I don't know if you know the the of the book called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made by Paul Brand. It's worth uh, anybody's uh, read. Uh, he was a, basically a, a, a hand surgeon, but was so fascinated with the creation of the human hand. And um, he worked mm -hmm. for many years in India as a, a surgeon caring for people with leprosy. As you know, it affects the, the uh, digits especially. Um, but anyway, um, yes, the, the whole idea of um, fearfully and wonderfully made was so fascinating to me as I, I I saw what happened to the body and how it survived. I mean, we have two kidneys in case one goes out. We have two eyes in case uh, one is injured. We have two ears. We have everything is sort of paired, two lungs. We only have one heart, but um, it, mm -hmm. it, the uh, reproductive organs are 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 paired and our legs and our arms and uh, uh, it, it is just amazing to me how we are created and uh, it, I don't know how anybody can study intricately the anatomy and uh, physiology of the human body and not believe in a creator god willow it's just um, um, it was so impressed in my heart and soul I would save it with I would share it with people who had no belief in God um, uh, of any kind, and uh, and it brought multiple people uh, to the realization that there 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 had to be. Hmm. You know, I'm thinking right now, Jim, about someone listening who's been having a very hard time uh, finding faith right now because of whatever they're facing, whatever circumstance they're in, whatever way they've been hurt by people of faith or that kind of thing. And this is a very random question that I wasn't planning on asking you, but is there something about our body that even is like a little homework assignment for us to just think upon and consider the way that it works that might be this um, almost deeply meditative way to consider that we must have a creator? because of this thing in our body like is there you know like how paul brandt wrote about the hand like what's a, a part of our body that maybe this week could just be uh, uh, something we can consider as as we think about a creator that created us well willow i um uh, i have to say that there are so many good answers to that question. I mean, <laughs> if, 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 uh, if I were a woman if, if, uh, and pregnant, uh, Judy and I, when it's our first pregnancy, we read every day what was happening inside that uterus. And it was so fascinating to me. And uh, we never forgot it. But um, the, the whole, it comes back to the fearfully and wonderful wonderfully made which is of course from uh, from the scripture but um as i as i think of individual body systems i, I mean think of how many times you know i'm soon going to be um yeah. an octogenarian but if i think about 70 beats per minute and let me 60 minutes 
per hour, 24 hours a day, 80 years. Think of how many heartbeats. And when you think of what happens with a single heartbeat, it's beyond description. And I've held the beating heart in my hand. I've started hearts that weren't beating. But that's just one. I mean, the eye is beyond description. Um, hearing the digestive system, how we take a bite of food today and go to bed and tomorrow uh, the Krebs cycle. Study that for a couple of years <laughs> of your life. Uh, our energy is made through what we eat, the uh, ATP. I, I'm just saying that there... Um, Anybody who carefully studies uh, the human body as I have um, in the years of observation would have to have a really good reason to not believe in a creator God. Believe me, I uh, there would have to be a real blockade because it's so incredibly clear to me. <laughs> if you love this podcast and the work Collide is doing to impact lives, would you consider partnering with us? We rely entirely on the generous support of donors to fuel the life-changing work we do to create spaces for women to collide with Jesus in the midst of their brokenness. And you can be part of that work. Your generous donations help us send women to counseling who couldn't otherwise afford it, help us to create content to bring hope to the hurting, and to create spaces for women to connect in community. Will you join our efforts to bring hope and healing to hurting women by giving a financial gift? Simply text GIVE to 1-888-364-4483 for more information about giving. Thank you. Jim, I could listen to you talk about that all day. But, you know, you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago that you would see your patients a few days after surgery. And uh, you would ask them, you know, you'd say, I've been sleeping. How did this happen? I love that question. How did this happen? You know, that you got to be in some sense sort of the bearer of good news. You got you to gotta point them to healing. I am sure in your long career, you also sometimes had to be the bearer of bad news and let people know hard things. How did Jesus show up for you personally when you had to let someone know something hard or let family members know something hard? Yeah. Um, no, no one comes to the Father um, unless he, through the Spirit, draws them. And And I was always very careful in times of great trauma and distress to not hit them between the eyes. That's not the time. The um, my, my gifting was clearly um, in providing uh, surgical uh, loving care to my patients. And mm. I, you can't imagine the, the relief I felt when I didn't have to tell people that they were they had cancer or that they had a incurable uh, disease. But again, uh, I, even though many times I didn't say to the patient who was a non-believer, 
Well, we're going to pray right now before. That, that didn't mean much to people. What meant a lot to them was my tender, loving care. And then as we developed the relationship, then the opportunities were were for, forever and, uh, and and golden. And and that's a time when there's a, a lot better listening when they're through the initial shock and um, ready to um, respond and had so many, so many great opportunities. But that's what it's, it's so much more important for us to pray, Lord, please use me and, and enable me um, than to say, oh, you need to know Jesus right now because in, at least in two years, you're going to die from this. Uh, no, um, that that doesn't work. Um, what works is you're using your expertise that you've been gifted with and then uh, developing a relationship and the time um, would become very, very obvious. Um, it uh, happened so many times. Mm -hmm. Jim, I think one of the things that has blown me away about you and um, maybe I'll even say, you know, I've never, I don't have a chart of like the people I most admire. I don't have like a list that I've written down, but I, I think I can genuinely say that you are one of the most incredible humans I've ever met. And one of the... Um, one of the things that blew me away when I heard you did this, I just, I just thought this is just absolutely incredible is that you spent your life being a surgeon, being a husband, being a father, and you said yes to this call on your life and you've poured out and you've sacrificed and you've done all these things. And there might be a lot of surgeons who would say, you know what, that's enough. That that's enough. Like I am I've poured out, I've sacrificed, I've given. But when I heard you actually started taking this on the road, and I don't know the proper term to to describe it, but and you can explain it, but what what I've been told by so many people is these crazy stories of you going into like third world countries and trekking up into jungles and helping, you know, remove breast cancer from women who could never have the ability to access that otherwise. Can you invite us into what made you, what made you take this to a whole nother level? Like what made you say yes to go with God and trek out into these places and say, I want to go help people who would never have the opportunity to have surgery. Well, that's a, uh, in some ways, Willow, um, thank you for the question, but that's another uh, one half hour uh, interview, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll just use a, a, an example or two, but I, uh, three years ago uh, this past week, I was diagnosed with gastric cancer, and that was a big deal because I ended up having to have chemo and radical surgery and then chemo, but but um, apparently cured. But um, about uh, six or eight months ago, uh, oh, maybe six months ago, I was asked, um, because I ran a combat hospital in Vietnam 
as a surgeon, uh, they had a tremendous need in Ukraine. And uh, the medical centers were, uh, they they wanted help with um, um, the educational opportunities they have are not the same as we have in America. So they were inviting three of us over there. Two of them were actually my previous students. So it was a team of three surgeons. And we went and um, gave lectures uh, in, in uh, five different medical centers around Ukraine along the edges of the battlefield. But anyway, I, I got asked more than once, but um, um, I, got, I, I saw an actual video of somebody recorded of me being asked that question, why in, why in the world would you, would you do this? And um, my, my answer is very simple. It's because my, my father asked me to. Um, and that would stimulate a conversation, but... I, I said, you know, there's, there, there are very few people cured of gastric cancer. I had a spindle cell gastric cancer, but I, I was spared. God healed me. And uh, was, aren't you afraid of, I mean, you've been healed and you're alive. Aren't you afraid of a war <laughs> in Ukraine? I said, no, I'm afraid of not doing what my father asks me to do. I, I firmly believe, Willow, that the safest place in the world for us to be is where God wants us to be. I mean, it's so clear mm -hmm. to me, and I believe it with, with all my heart. In, in, mm -hmm. in Vietnam, I, I, I was actually scared. I was, it's, it's hard to explain, but officers basically had to have their own little bunk and nobody else in the room. And, I, I mean, when <laughs> when war is going on and and there's all sorts of small arms fire, it's it's a pretty scary thing. And I had to come to the place in my life where I said, either I believe God's word or or I don't. And uh, Psalms uh, twenty seven, read that sometime. You know, um, uh, He is my light and my salvation. Uh, he is uh, the strength of my life. Of whom? Shall I be afraid? <laughs> and it even goes on to describe our situation perfectly in Vietnam, though an army encamps against me, uh, is encamped against me, you know. So we either, we either believe God's word and, uh, you, you know, his final statement was, um, go and make disciples. And what better language uh, or music can there be to draw people to himself than helping them with their surgical uh, problems. That was my mentality. And uh, I loved every minute of where I went around and around and around the world. Uh, so uh, it, it was it was a gift, but I was asked to do it. Uh, and the person who asks also enables. Um, and mm. it was so true for me, is so true. I love that the person who asks enables just for context for people who don't know you when you say you went around the world, can you just share kind of some places you went and maybe um, some types of work or surgeries you were doing? Well, it started out when most listeners weren't born I, in 1967, I won a, a senior medical school fellowship. Uh, to practice 
modern medicine in a primitive society for three months during my off quarter in my senior year in in, uh, Mm -hmm. medical school. And my sister happened to be a missionary in northern Nigeria. So uh, (laughs) I I, uh, lined up to go to her hospital. And that was the beginning. Um, uh, At least 80% of the world doesn't have remotely the opportunities and access to health care that we do. And my heartthrob was um, was to uh, share not only in my uh, giving of my my money, but uh, of my life. And uh, so, uh, almost every year for ten or twelve years in a row, uh, I went back to Vietnam uh, on a with an NIH grant, looking at um, uh, a special problem that was an escalating incidence of uh, pre-menopausal women with breast cancer. And our, our grant supplied about 20 to 30 percent of the, the of the funds for the uh, only cancer hospital in Vietnam. And we would have 10 or 12 women with breast cancer lined up every day. And, um, and we did a study showing that we can care for them much cheaper than we do in America. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. but um, yes, and and uh, also uh, a prop a project in southern uh, Bangladesh, in Kulna, where we set up a breast center, and um, uh, so it's been a tremendously rewarding journey, um, but but basically a just a privilege as I see it. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have a moment, maybe a conversation with someone, or? or a run-in with someone even years after you helped them that sort of made you realize how impactful this work was? Because I think sometimes people who are trying to do God's work in the world, trying to bless people, trying to impact lives, you know it matters, but you can get kind of in the, I'm doing surgery, I'm removing breast cancer, I don't know, I do ministry, I'm preaching a sermon, I'm sitting with a hurting person. But sometimes there's these moments where you hear someone tell a story of how impactful it was, and it's almost like God reminding you, keep going, keep going, keep going. Did you have any moments like that? Well, I've had many, but... um <clears throat> Um, I, some years ago, um, I, I had a a problem with, a I I needed an, a dental implant. And, and so I needed to go, we needed to go back to Milwaukee where we were from. We had, we were living out here, but anyway, I, the long and short of it was I, I called one of my previous students who was a oral surgeon and he fixed me up in a heartbeat and. I went to the front desk to pay this before I was getting on a plane to fly back to Bellingham, and um, and uh, and he said there'll be uh, there's there's no charge. <laughs> so you mean dental implant costs three thousand dollars or whatever? <laughs> no, 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 there's no charge. So I had to get on a plane and leave, and I came. I immediately when I got out here, I called I called uh, Phil up and I said, Phil, what I I came because I thought you were the best oral surgeon I knew and we were in Milwaukee and I needed it and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I said, I, I, I need to pay you. And he said, 
In one sentence, he said, How could I ever charge you? When the Holy Spirit first spoke to my heart in your living room in a Bible study. So we used to drag students <laughs> from everywhere into our house on a weekly basis for Bible study. And, uh, and it just blossomed from there. But uh, all I can say is it's, it's God's, God's word. Um, um, faith comes from hearing. Hearing comes from the word of God. I believe that's Corinthians 4, 3, 1 Corinthians 4, 3. Anyway, um, that it's, it's not us. It's, uh, God working through us and it, it'll happen to you if you let it happen, whoever's listening. <laughs> well, Jim, I know I could ask you so many more questions. You're right. We could do another podcast, but I think the question I want to end with today is I would imagine you are thinking about legacy these days because I'm about to hit 50 and I'm starting to think about it. <laughs> and I'm curious when you feel like it's your time to go and all is said and done here, what do you want to look back and see that God did in your life? What, what kind of legacy do you want to leave here? And what do you want to hear your surgeon, your healer, your doctor, your Lord say to you? Well, um, what could be better than, um, well done, good and faithful servant. So I, I, I still hear uh, almost weekly from my college track coach, who's a dear friend, a guy named George Glass. He's 10 years older than I am. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, he, he is a constant uh, encourager. And uh, his, his, he, he gives us things to hang on to. And he says, uh, he, he insists that for us, um, the thing we have to remember is to be faithful. And um, I, I, I so uh, cherish the thought that uh, people would um, remember um, th that I was faithful and uh, faithful to what I know, faithful to what I believe, uh, faithful when the chips are down, faithful when things are great. And um, um, so I don't know what could be better than that. Jim, you certainly modeled faithfulness, and there's so many of us who are just admiring you and inspired to live faithful lives in the calling that God has on our lives because of you saying yes and living it out faithfully. So thank you for sharing with us today and for hanging out with me. Thank you, Willow. I'm so thankful for what you're doing around the world. Thank you, Jim. Friend, I hope that that interview with Dr. Jim Woods blessed you and met you where you're at. I just absolutely love the way that he has so humbly said yes to God's call on his life. I love when he talked about why he goes and treks around in jungles and goes to third world countries and 
you know, does these surgeries to help people who otherwise wouldn't get it. And he says, I do it because my father told me. So I love that so much. And he encouraged us to read Psalm 27. So I thought that the way that I could end this podcast today is to read this Psalm over us. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of a sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Keep colliding, friends. We'll catch you next week.